way we grow and produce food is ever-changing, shaped by consumers and the climate in which we live and farm. Research at all points of our food system is essential for continuously improving food's journey from farm to table. The Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange explores timely research innovations and applications that make our food system better than ever. Join us for today's podcast. Welcome to the Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Sasiwa. And today we're going to be covering the increasing consumption of pulses through optimal storage, milling, and processing. Now, it's important to note that uh, as dietary changes have taken place, there is more and more people looking to different options uh, for their diet and, and to increase more or a wider variety of food in their diet. So we've got ourselves an expert today who can explain what's going on in the storage and the processing of pulses. Today, we've got Dr. Jatindra Palawal. He's a professor of biosystems engineering at the University of Manitoba. And I'm not going to do nearly enough to introduce this expert, but we're going to try. Dr. Polywell's focus is on the quality assessment and preservation of cereals, oil seeds, and pulses. It's very interesting to note that Dr. Polywell was part of a collaboration in 2018 that I'm going to be asking about this project because it sounds amazing. They actually, the team utilized the cancer detecting imaging techniques for remote monitoring of grain bins. So, We've got somebody that really knows what's going on when it comes to pulses. Dr. Polywell, thanks so much for joining us. Let's jump straight into this. And why have pulses become so important as of late in the food sector? Thanks so much, Jordan. So pulses, pulses, I would say, have been one of the most underrated crops that we have. Uh, they've been consumed across the world for the longest time, but not so much in the Western diet that they've found their way. And lately, people have realized that there are lots of health-related benefits of consuming pulses, as everybody knows that uh, protein is, you know, one of the most important components of any diet. And most times, you know, when you think of protein, meat, eggs, dairy, uh, but very recently, people have realized that plant proteins could be another very important, uh, very important ingredient that could be incorporated. Uh, there are several reasons for that. Uh, one is uh, that plant proteins are much more uh, the lower cost to uh, create, uh, and uh, they they are uh, 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 pulses are highly nutritious and they have the right mix of uh, uh, starch and the, the, the starch and protein matrix is ideal for bioavailability for uh, human beings and uh, animals alike. And they're much more environmentally friendly way of growing protein. And that's the reason why there's been, you know, an increased awareness amongst the consumers, you know, people who are who really care about our planet people uh, who are looking for healthy, nutritious alternatives uh, for animal-based proteins. I think pulses fit that gap really nicely. And when you look at the overall economics 
the entire protein industry worldwide is somewhere worth about 25 to 30 billion dollars and when you consider that you know this could actually uh, in in terms of the economics this could be a major key player in uh, providing another source of uh, very low cost proteins which is highly nutritious and which is uh, very environmentally friendly and that's the reason why there's been an increased uh, in, increased interest in plant proteins now just just quickly because i think most people are familiar with the term pulses but if you could just give a few example of of plant products manitoban plant products that uh, or or things that we produce in Manitoba that fall into that category? So in terms of the, uh, so pulses are leguminous crops. And uh, as uh, most of us have studied in high school uh, science, that leguminous crops are the ones that are, that could do nitrogen fixation. Uh, the ones uh, the nitrogen gets converted into proteins and that's how, you know, they, they become protein rich. Yeah. Some of the important uh, leguminous crops would include, you know, peas, uh, being pills. And when you look at, you know, our own economy, we were recently been growing a lot of uh, peas and lots of uh, red and green lentils here in the prairie provinces. Now, of course, once you've taken these uh, products off the field, storage is important. And this is, this is something that I wanted to touch on because this collaboration you had in 2018, which is only, I mean, that's only two years ago that you were, you were doing this. What did you guys, what did you and your team uh, do with the, the cancer imaging and how is that important or, or why is that study and just studying storage in general important to pulse growth? So when you look at storage of cereal grains and pulses and most of the agricultural commodities in the North American system, uh, you know, most of the stuff is stored in, uh, you know, bulk format in very large bins. And there was a time about 30, 40 years ago when uh, the farm storage was not really that important. It was mostly stored at, uh, you know, farm elevators and then terminal elevators. But that system over the years have changed, uh, has changed, and most of the storage is now happening on farm. Because of that, the sizes of the grain bins have tremendously increased. It has almost, you know, quadrupled in the, the, the grain bins have increased in diameter so big that it's very difficult to look at the core and find out what the conditions are for safe storage. Because once you, once the, any kind of agricultural commodity goes into storage in bins, it has it's it's a natural product which has uh, uh, which is naturally viable and it, it depending on the temperature conditions depending on the moisture of the commodity and the environmental relative humidity in the North American prairies we're blessed by lower temperatures which are a natural uh, way of inhibiting any kind of uh, you know insect or mold growth but when you have very large bins the core of the bin could never cool down enough. And that can create problems with, you know, generation of hot spots where mold can start to grow. And then, you know, from that point on, you can consider it to be a slippery slope that things get uh, progressively worse. So it's extremely important to look at the core or the entire 
uh, profile of the bin to find out what the conditions are inside the bin. Uh, so a few years ago, some of my uh, collaborators in electrical engineering, they came to me, human tissue imaging, like uh, they were trying to identify very tiny tumors uh, that that take place uh, during uh, breast cancer. And when we were doing this work together, because my area is imaging, and I asked the question, I said that, can we adapt this technology to look into very large-scale grain bins and identify some hot spots that are really uh, pockets of high temperature, high moisture content uh, accumulated in a very small physical space. And that's where the idea started. And then uh, my collaborators, they, and then we, we, we went together looking into this problem, and then we were able to adapt this technology, which was to identify breast cancer tumors that were a millimeter or two millimeter in size looking at uh, looking at these pockets of wet, uh, wet, moist grain in a very large grain bin. And this is now a technology that's been commercially available to farmers. So this is where it all started. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. So when you're, when you're looking at this, how, how big of a bin can you, you image and, and say image with um, results you're comfortable with? Uh, in terms of the uh, technological application, there isn't really uh, a limit on how big of a bin you can image. You you tweak the the frequency of the radiation because we're we're working with radio waves, uh, so you can tweak the frequency a little bit depending on the size of the bin. The main constraint comes into the economics of it. If you have a bin that's just too small, the technology may not be worth uh, worth in terms of how much money you spend and the return that you obtain on your investment. But once you get into larger bulks of grain that are stored in really large bins, that is where the technology uh, is very, very beneficial in terms of the return on investment. So this is a technology that's right now it's still under development. We're still trying to fine-tune it, uh, but it's largely applicable to big bins. Interesting. Now, I'm a, I'm a prairie kid. I grew up in Manitoba. I've lived here my whole life, and I've grown up literally next door to wheat fields my whole life. With all that's gone on in, in, in wheat and wheat production – do we need to repeat that, especially things like, let's say, for instance, milling and the production of wheat? Can that just transfer to pulses or, or do we need new research there? Unfortunately, it need not. Uh, we've, uh, we've been milling wheat for, you know, I would say maybe 200 years now. And over the last 100 years, the research in milling has really very well defined the characteristics of the flowers that could be obtained by using different types of mills, by tweaking the different parameters of, say, a roller mill and the different fractions, very, very finely characterized. And that's why, you know, when you're looking at uh, the production of wheat flour, we know already as to what type of uh, particle size 
uh, is required to make bread, what type of particle size is ideal for making pasta, noodles, cookies, all that is already that that knowledge base already exists because we've been working with wheat for, you know, tens of years. But when it comes to pulses, that hasn't happened. Cannot apply the same wheat milling uh, directly to pulses. And there are several reasons for it because these protein starch matrix is different. The bioavailability of pulses depends on the size of the flower. And I think that the final and the biggest reason is you can't really use a pulse flower as a substitute for wheat flour. They have to be, there are because of, you know, lack of gluten, you can't really create a bread out of 100%, uh, 100% pulse flour. So the best way to incorporate pulses into our diets would be to use these as fractions, mix them with cereal flours or mix them with other types of stuff to create end products. And that is where the blending is important. And in turn, that is where the milling is important. So it's import, very important to know that what kind of milling would produce the ideal particle sizes of the flour and ideal characteristics uh, of, uh, that are a consequence of starch damage that, that would create the best end product. And that's the reason why we cannot use wheat milling research straight ported over into pulse milling and then use it. So we've got a, a multi-billion dollar industry with pulses. We've got potential for Canada and Manitoba to, to really become a leader. And it's people like you that are doing the research to help us get there. What, what are you currently right now doing in the research field for pulses? And, and how, do you kinda, how do you see that helping Canada in the food sector? number of studies that are taking place in this area, and this would include understanding the, you know, the, the functional and nutritional value of whole pulses. Whole pulses could be consumed as snack foods uh, once they are uh, boiled. And then uh, you have to understand that the different types of fractions, what can they be used for in terms of using as ingredients for different types of end products. Like, can you use 10% of a particular type of pulse flour and blend it with, you know, cookie flour to create cookies that are more nutritious? And then all of these things could very well be understood based on the microstructural analyses, which is my area of expertise. So there you're looking at very fine changes that occur in these pulse seeds as a consequence of different types of uh, pretreatment, different types of processing so that we want to retain, do not want, you know, nobody wants to eat something that has really no nutritional value. So we don't want to overcook it. We don't want to overmill it. We want to make sure that the nutritious uh, properties or nutritional properties of the, the uh, raw material is retained by the time it becomes an end product. So we're looking at all of these, and we're looking at uh, the consequences of long-term stress as you store uh, biological material, including, including agricultural commodities, what happens is that the quality goes down. So you have to be able to know what are the ideal conditions for storage so that you retain nutritional and functional properties of the uh, commodity that you're dealing with. 
Very interesting. This, Dr. Pollowal, you're you're leading some great research and part of a, a greater search for how to work with pulses, which I can't thank you enough as a as a Canadian interested in health um, and, and always concerned with making sure I'm getting the best quality food. I can't thank you enough for putting your time into this and um, for for explaining briefly what you're up to. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jordan. It is my pleasure. And I feel myself very fortunate that, you know, I'm doing research at a time when this very important area of healthy foods is so hot and so popular that people are actually looking towards the scientific community to provide them with solutions so that they get the best possible, best nutritious food that they can. Thank you so much. I absolutely agree. And thank you. We'll talk again soon. 